Welcome to A Drink with a Friend. I'm Seth Haynes. And I'm Tish Oxenreiter. Tish, tell me, what is it that you are drinking today? I have been in a coffee desert in a way for the past month, just not finding good stuff. So I am thrilled to say that I am back to drinking good coffee. So plain old black coffee, but it is from the cafe that's 200 steps from our front porch. So Mm. 309. And it is their GTX blend, which GTX stands for Georgetown, Texas, which is my small town. And it is just, it's a blend. It's a medium roast. It's nothing fancy, but it's actually just really good and fresh and it's nice. So, um, what's that's the, all what's I'm the flavor? What, tell me, talk to me about the flavor profile. What do we, what do we have here? Little brown sugariness. So a tiny bit of that caramel, but not enough to make it taste like you're drinking pumpkin pie or something, you know? So, and a little bit of almond, like a little bit Mm. of that nuttiness. So I like that profile. I mean, it's not blueberry, it's not chocolate, but I like that kind of, you know, earthiness, earthy, wholesome profile. So do you know, is it a blend? Do you know where it's from? It's a blend. And that's the only thing I don't know. It just says blend. And so I literally could ask them. I know the owners, Karen and Dave, and I know who they source their coffee from. So next time I see them, which I, they're this couple that I run into all the time. I don't know if you have these people in Fayetteville. Yeah. Yep. um, Where it's like, oh, you again. So I will see them enough to where, like, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, uh, I'm an attorney, and a uh, long time ago, I had a case wherein that was happening to uh, someone, and come to find out that the couple that they kept running into everywhere were, was actually stalking them. Ah, uh, well. That's not true. That's not true. I just thought it would be funny to say out loud. <laughs> Great. I felt like saying that the last time I saw them, like, I swear I'm trying to leave you alone. I promise. They're this <laughs> lovely retired couple that are like on their third career by opening this coffee shop. And so they have all kinds of time to like go on morning hikes and just neighborhood strolls. And so I just see them out and about living their best life. Yeah. Karen and Dave, man. Are they like the cool couple that has like like he wears like a blue micropuff from Patagonia and has like glasses and silver hair. And <laughs> she kind of sometimes wears pigtails that are also, you know, grayish and cardigans. Uh-huh. The spirit of that is true. I have seen him wear the okay. Patagonia right. jacket. He does not have glasses. And she has a really cute short uh, pixie cut that is all white and silver. And she manages to like, that's what I want to do when I'm like 65 something. She's kind of more on trend than I am. Don't we all want to be Karen and Dave? (laughs) We do. And they're actually really cool. Can we just have an entire episode today where we talk about Karen and Dave and just like tell (laughs) stories about them, make them up? I'm sure they would love to know. Profile them. Yeah. (laughs) That's not stalkery at all. Not at all. That's just really weird. So let's move on then. What are you drinking today, Seth? Well, speaking of coffee, it must be a coffee kind of day. So, Mm -hmm. you know, my local friends, Onyx Coffee Lab, love them so much. Below my office, they opened up a new cafe, <gasps> and the new cafe is called Hail Fellow Well Met, which is a bit of a mouthful. And how do you spell that? Hail Fellow? Hail, like H A I L, like Hail Fellow Well Met. It's evidently, as an Anglophile, you're supposed to know this. It's some sort of a British and English, maybe older English, not old English, mind you, mm-hmm. greeting. Um which I can't remember what it stands for, but it's something like let the day begin well or something. I love it. Who knows? Whatever. We're going to start telling 
this to each other. Hail, fellow well met. Anyway, so <laughs> they have this amazing uh, cafe. But I go there uh, every day almost to just get a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. But today, in celebration of it being a day that we record the podcast, I did not just get a regular coffee. I ordered the single most soccer mom drink one could order. Um, can you I guess? guess? Yeah. Yes. Some is it fall related? No, it's not fall. I, oh. I, it's not that soccer mommy. Well, that's where I was going with. It's got to be a latte of some sort, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, lots, correct. Lots of milk, vanilla, soy latte. It's so close. It really? Is a sugar. It is a sugar-free vanilla oat latte. <laughs> You're right. Oat, oat milk is is very 2021. Uh, oats the new soy. It is the new soy, and I I actually really like oat milk. Uh, that's. Do you like it? Is it a good latte? It's it's delicious. And the go. thing is, I probably honestly would have never ordered oat milk, except for that I was literally with um, a client who happens to be. I mean, she's a soccer mom. She kind of happens to be a baseball mom. Hey. And she's so much more than that. She's also no like shame a in CEO. that game. Yeah, she's the CEO of an amazing company. She's a, a, a just an amazing woman. Uh, but she ordered this drink and I said, huh, I remember that guy from Oatly who sang the song in the field for the Super Bowl. Um, I'll try oat milk. Why not? And now I'm hooked. That's nice. You know what? They do that. I The first time I tried oat milk was at 309 and it was when the barista said, hey, do you want to try oat milk? Because I ordered it with almond milk, which is my usual thing. And I loved it. And I was surprised because it sounds gross. Like it sounds like runny oatmeal, but it's not. You know, Karen and Dave, though, they're never going to steer you wrong. They're <laughs> always, so I mean, that's the thing that I love about Karen and Dave. They're so consistent. They just, <laughs> they know what they're doing. So when their people mm. recommend oat milk, you're going to do it. You have to listen to the soccer moms and the Karens, which And the Karens are kind and of, the Daves. Yeah. Yeah. The Venn diagram there is one big circle. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So um, the topic we're going to be chatting about today, it it comes from a listener who was so kind enough to write us. Her name's Emily. And Emily says that she's in her mid-20s and she finished grad school not too long ago and has now moved to a small town for her job. And she suddenly has all this time in a way, you know, post-school to what she says, heal and grow in wisdom and confidence. And so she says, I was wondering, could y'all have a chat about advice for 20-somethings? And I thought that was a really fun kind of wide open conversation topic because we could take this a million different directions. But I know you and I both have had um, reflections where we have more or less talked to our younger selves. So tell me a little bit about your initial thoughts on this idea, like looking to the past of your younger self and and what you would tell them now that you know what you know? Yeah, I mean, this is a fascinating question to me because, I mean, I think at 43 for both of us, I think, you know, 44. I'm just, oh, you're 44. Oh, wait, right, did you turn 44? 44? Like just, oh, I don't know, a month. Right. Yeah, We're, I'm just like right. two months older than you. That's you're, right. You're almost there. Well, it's, it's coming up on me. It is. Um, anyway. So that was an interesting segue. At 43, anyhow, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I think looking back, I would do – There's a lo- there are a lot of things that I would do differently, perhaps, but all those things sort of made me who I am. Yeah. And so I always find that the interesting – this conversation about, like, what would you tell your younger self um, 
you know, it's really fascinating to me because all the things that I did that were mistakes made me who I am. And so, you know, we're all going to want to glean that wisdom from people that are older than us. Like I still ask, you know, 60 year olds, like Karen and Dave, Hey, Karen and Dave, tell me, how can I get to micro puff Patagonias and gray hair looking cool owning a coffee shop? Like I want to know that. Right. But, but the truth is like, even if they gave me the secret formula to cool, cool, you know, sixties, um, I'm going to find my own journey there. I'm going to find my own path there. I'm going to screw it all up. I'm going to, you know, some decisions I'm going to make are going to be amazing. And some of the decisions that I make are going to be really poor. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay. That's yeah. okay. So, I mean, I think even as we go into this conversation, you know, probably the first thing I would say uh, if I were giving advice to a 20 something year old is like, have a lot of grace on yourself. Cause no matter what I tell you, you're going to really do some things that are just boneheaded. Mm-hmm. And especially in your 20s and 30s. Mm-hmm. And that's cool. And when I'm in my 60s, guess what? We're going to be on this podcast 20 years later, still having conversations over drinks. I'm sure that's what we'll be doing when we're in our 60s. And I'll be saying to some 40-year-old, ah, when you're 40, have grace on yourself. You're going to do stupid things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the first thing that I would like really say to to any of the 20 something year old listeners or 30 something year old listeners is like know that you're going to mess this up and that's okay uh tomorrow's another day and have grace on yourself you know i mean you're exactly right how i need to hear that right now as a 44 year old because um I don't know why we as human beings can be so hard on ourselves, why we think we need to have arrived or that it's almost like everyone got this memo that we somehow missed, you know, <laughs> that right. that I should know more of what the heck I'm doing. And I still feel like I'm making it up a lot of the times at my age. Um, and I actually need to remember that as a parent because, you know, you and I are both parents of teens. And so in some ways we're talking, you know, when we're thinking about 20 something, that's our oldest in just a few years, which is mind boggling. Um, And I remember when I was in premarital counseling or Kyle and I were in premarital counseling, I I got married at age 25. So right in the middle there. And the woman that was the couple that we met with, she reminded me and, and told me this, like to not hold Kyle to a standard of wisdom that's literally not possible when you're 20 in your mid twenties, like don't expect him to have the wisdom of a 55 year old at age 25. It's okay that he is where he's at. And as a recovering perfectionist, I really needed to hear that. And it's not because I was wanting to be, you know, a taskmaster nagger, you know, always be better self-improvement, yada, yada. It just was my natural bent to always be looking for how things could be better. And that was a real word of wisdom I needed. Like, it's okay yeah. that you have the wisdom you have at the age you have. Totally. Mm-hmm. Totally. And it's and it's okay that you don't have wisdom that you don't have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, that's true. You know, I, I don't remember who said this, but I read it just recently, like, and this is not an exact quote, but wisdom is the product of, like, making really huge mistakes. You don't get wisdom if you don't do dumb stuff, you know. <laughs> um, and, yeah. and, and you can you can glean wisdom from other people, but the wisdom that sticks, like the hardest wisdom that I have, um, you know, I earn that through being stupid, mm, and that's okay. That's good. that's good. Well, that dovetails really well with what I initially thought. I really like yours, like grace on yourself is to 
combine that with just being a student of yourself. Um, I think yeah, it's that's good. easy to sort of just plow through the daily, you know, especially if you've got a new grind, you know, going up, waking up, going to work, and that's your new normal, to just go through the motions without stopping to think about maybe who you are, how you're wired. Wait, is this really something I want? Or is this something I think I should want because this is how I grew up? Or um, this is what I want to want, but it's not really, you know, um, to just notice these little tiny things about yourself. And I don't, you know, this this almost sounds like it could be the opposite of have grace with yourself to be a student of yourself. But I think there's something to be said about a lot of um, the good sorts of things you can learn about self-improvement and habit formation that um, can really be a net benefit if you have enough grace for yourself to like set aside what's not for you, you know, um, to learn from the James Clear and the Atomic Habits and the Cal Newport type of, you know, digital minimalism type of wisdom without feeling like you should already do these things perfectly. But yeah, learn how you're wired, how you, um, you know, approach habits and, uh, you know, rhythms and routines. Yeah. You know, in all of those books, whether it's, you know, Greg McKeown or James Clear <laughs> or Cal Newport or any of those guys that we all right. read, because we hope that maybe we can all be like them one day. But the other day, by the way, I saw a photo of Cal Newport, who's got to be five years younger than I am. Maybe he's really uh-huh. not, but he looks so young. He is um, young. And I'm like, holy crap, how's that guy so good so young? It made I me, know. It, it, that, I want that wisdom. How do I have the wisdom of a 30-something-year-old? Anyway. That's right. That's right. Um, in all of those books, they always appoint to um, the inscription over the temple at Delphi, the, t- the temple of Apollo, of Apollo at Delphi, the Know Thyself. Mm. Um, and I think that's what you're talking about. Like, yeah. be a student of yourself. Know yourself. Mm-hmm. That's super huge. And I think in particularly um, in this age, it's really hard to know yourself because, um, you know, this kind of goes back to our conversations that we've been having about social media. Uh, the herd mentality has taken over. That's right. And and I don't care uh, what herd you're running with. So this is not a shot on, you know, neoconservatives and it's not a shot on neoliberalism. It's, you know, we have yeah. moved into herd mentality. Yeah. Um, and that's unfortunate because in herd mentality, you you don't know yourself. You can't know yourself. You're not able to differentiate. And mm-hmm. um, that's super important. It's super important to know who you are and how you fit into a community, mm-hmm. yeah. um, but not just to go along with the herd because it's it's what the herd is demanding. And I think that's especially true at this age, this particular decade where it feels like a big driving question is where do I belong or yeah. – um, you know, who, who is there to say that I'm valuable? And so I think um, making sure you kind of have the, the boundaries where it's like, this is where I end and where you begin, I think is really important at this age. I mean, it's always important, but you know, whenever you're trying, it feels like sometimes you're like trying people on and see how they fit. I mean, be it romantically or just, you know, friends or, you know, friend groups and to recognize whenever everybody else is saying a particular thing that does, I mean, this sounds like such a parent, right? Just because, you know, are you going to be a lemming? But I think there's real wisdom there, you know, Um, you're on a date and just because this guy 
likes this kind of music. You don't suddenly need to like that kind of music. You know, actually apply that to the things that really and truly matter for the long term. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is a really good segue. It may not be that much (laughs) different, but it's a really good segue to my number two. All right. uh, Which is be who you are. Mm, That's good. Not who other people want you to be. Uh, not who you want yourself to be, but like who you actually are. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's, uh, I'm going to give you a couple examples. Uh, one, when I met Amber, you know, she was very artistic. She's very, uh, you know, she's a poet. Uh, she listened to a lot of poetic music. Um, so did I. We we love music together, but we listen to different music. And um, But by the same token, I had kind of come from a family that was like, um, when I say conservative, I don't mean politically. I mean, just like conservatively mm-hmm. dressed business people who went out and made money and those sorts of things. My grandfather, my uncles. Um, and that was sort of like drummed into me that that's, you know, that's, that was kind of the measure of a man or whatever. And so um, there was this joke when I met Amber that, that if you, some people will not remember this show, but there was the old show Dharma and Greg. Do you remember that show? I do remember that show. And Dharma was like this free spirited, hippy dippy uh-huh. uh, woman, mm-hmm. and Greg was this buttoned up like accountant or something. Um, and my family would always joke that we were Dharma and Greg, but and I never said anything. But what I always want to say is like, no, I I actually love art and I love music mm. and I love things that you would call hippie-ish. And I wear sandals when you're not looking, and you know okay. these sorts of things. But these were all things that I was still a little bit. Um, sort of not super comfortable being with my mm-hmm. family, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then here's the other example uh, of that. Um, how long have you known us now? Oh, uh, gosh. I don't know. Over 10 years. Yeah. A decade-ish? Uh, yeah, ish. Were, were you surprised at all when we became Catholic? No. Okay. Tell me why. Well, because we've had enough conversations to know where y'all were headed, but I also know your history, your backstory, and you're, you're like leaning toward, I mean, you were one of the first people that I remember talking about things that felt like to me or the things that I cared about, like art, but I don't know. Is that what you're looking for? Cause yeah, like, it, it, yeah, just, it felt like y'all when you yeah, became Catholic. Right. Right. And so what's really interesting is like, we've known each other for a decade. I think the last time that we were in, in Italy, I think you might have even explicitly asked me, like, "Hey, are you are you going to become Catholic? Like, what's happening here?" Right. Um, and and the people who've known me, so John Blaze, who's my friend, uh, also my agent, um, has said to me, like, "I was surprised zero when this happened." Right. Um, and and it's really fascinating to me because, to some degree, I think I'm more surprised than other people because I always wanted to, I mean, like I've wanted to be Catholic as long as I can really remember, uh, you know, maybe fifth, sixth grade, you know, like when I started Catholic school in fourth grade, by the time it finally took hold, I was like, Oh, I actually understand this Mm -hmm. spiritually more than I understand this other way of being. And yet I continued to try to fit into this box, right? I even went so far as to be a minister um, in another sort of denomination uh, for a year and and just was very clear that it was not a fit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I kept trying to fit into this box because this was the box that I had been given, um, even though I knew that I was not who I was. I was this other person. And it, it, it really took me into my 40s to just say, you know what? I know who I am. I've yeah. known who I was since I was in my 20s. Right. Um, so now life is too short to just not be who I am. 
Yeah. No, but it took so some good. trauma. It yeah. took trauma. It took bad decisions and mistakes and those sorts of things. But, um, but, but at the end of the day, it was like, man, I've known who I was this whole time. Like, why am I not being the person that I know that I am? Um, so that's, I think that's my, my second piece of advice is like, be the person, you know, you are. That's really good. It reminds me of the thing my mom used to say in my teen years that I hated hearing it. I mean, she said this into my twenties, so it applies to this broader topic. Um, I always hated whenever I would like be wearing a shirt or listening to a type of music, she would say this little, and I know she meant nothing by it, but she would say this little phrase, Oh, that doesn't seem like something you would like. And I, I know what she meant, but what she was basically telling me was, I don't know you very well, or um, you're not displaying who you really are. Like, it felt like this huge thing that she just said. And it felt, I mean, I, I really started cringing anytime she'd say that because it, it, it felt like a personal attack. Um, because by my liking it, I am saying that is who I am. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, right. this is who I am. I listen right. to this music. I, you know, I mean, I know who I am. And so that is great advice. I think some something that, um, you know, being a student of yourself and just then once you discover that being who that is, is yeah. really a journey we're all on. And it takes, you know, what's that quote from um, Parker Palmer? Like, the journey of being who you've always been. You know, mm-hmm. I think there's something about that in your 20s that's especially apropos. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's an Avet Brothers quote that is similar. Mm. Decide yeah. who you are and go be it. Yeah, that idea. It's good. Yeah. Hey guys, a quick break from our conversation to tell you about this week's sponsor who does something that actually is kind of a lot of what Seth and I are doing and talking about in this episode, you know, looking back on our past, noticing how we've gotten a little smarter and wiser, but also realizing our younger selves, as dumb as they were sometimes, were also not total idiots. You know, we did some stuff, we had fun, we learned from our mistakes. I'm guessing you're in the same boat and I'm guessing there's other people in your life who are in the same boat too. So this is when I tell you about that sponsor, and you'll see what I mean about what they do really dovetailing with what Seth and I are talking about here. I'm talking about StoryWorth, which you've heard me talk about before, and I genuinely love that they're a longtime sponsor of the show because I really, truly love what they're about. So let's say you've got someone in your life who probably has a lot of life stories, and let's say you've either never really heard about their younger years, like your grandpa Hank, who's the strong but silent type, and you've always wanted to know how he got that scar on his eyebrow. Or maybe it's the stories from your Aunt Mabel. You've heard so many times as you pass the Thanksgiving turkey, you could probably mouth along with her. You know, did I ever tell you about what my friend Barbara and I did at our senior prom? Well, we had just seen the movie Carrie, and it gave us this idea. You know how it is, that Mabel. Well, StoryWorth is both a service and a publisher for people like you. Every week for a year, they'll email someone you choose one question to answer. Things like, what was your first date like? What's your favorite heirloom from your mom? Tell me about your childhood bedroom. Or you can create your own like, okay, spill the beans, Hank, what's up with that scar? Your person then sends StoryWorth their answers, and after a year, they'll combine all their answers, along with any additional photos they may have submitted, into a customized published book that StoryWorth then sends you for free. 
It's this fantastic keepsake for future generations. So basically a new heirloom. And it gives you a collection of stories from questions you've always wanted to ask and through ones you'd never think to ask. And you can buy multiple copies if you want for other family members. So the holidays are coming up soon. I know, right? Sit down and let that sink in. And giving story worth is such a great idea, especially for that person who has everything. And you know you have someone on your list like that. And you know what else? I'll bet you could even give story work to yourself so that you can share all your hard-earned wisdom to your own people, doing kind of like what Seth and I are doing here and answering Emily's great question. So to give story worth for the upcoming holidays, or really for any reason at all, go to storyworth.com slash drink, and you'll save 10 bucks off your first purchase. So that's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash drink to get $10 off. And you can also find the link in the show notes of this episode. All right, back to our chat. So my next bit, I mean, these all are a nice segue, I think. But um, I would just say, don't be afraid of your hard questions. You know, as you're learning about who you are and as you're doing your best to be who you are, listen to those inner, inner questions that you're asking, the ones that scare you, and don't be afraid of them. First of all, because your maker's not afraid of them. You know, God's not afraid of of our hard questions. So we shouldn't be afraid either, because it's just part of life is asking these hard questions. Um, When I was in my late 20s, and we were living in Turkey, it, it took a few months of, of our completely settling there what we thought would be for life. And uh, you know, after our entire marriage being about we're going to go live overseas, when I looked at Kyle and said, I don't know if I want to do this. Like, yeah, and, yeah. you know, like, what the heck? What did we just do? And that was the first time I was really honest about how I felt about the kind of work we were doing. And that took me on a trajectory that was so much better than I could have ever imagined. But at the time, it felt so scary to say that out loud. Yeah. Um, it just felt, and it was a little bit of that, like, but isn't this who I am? The person that I think I am or the person I want to be likes this kind of thing. And I had to really sort of let come to the surface this idea of maybe I don't as much as I think I do. And so to not be afraid of that. But then I will say the part two of this is, um, but as you seek out these answers, consider the source. Consider the mm. source of the answers you seek out, you know? So that's great. Um, Yeah, that doesn't necessarily mean only seek out wisdom from where you know you can trust, although that's an obvious good first step. Seek out answers that possibly contradict each other, but consider where they come from, you know, and this this is – it sounds like a big dub, but it is hard to do in our our world where you can just Google, you know, what is this bump on my skin and some – guy at Joe's medical blog can tell you you have cancer, you know, consider, does that person really know what they're talking about? The same goes true for these, the deeper, you know, philosophical questions of your heart. Consider where you're finding the wisdom you're seeking. Yeah, that is so good. And again, going back to the polarized herd mentality, you know, I, I, you know, I have a friend, his name is Brian, Mm -hmm. and this is tangential, but he always says in the business world, if everybody's going one way, there's money to be made going the other way. Mm. And it, it, you know what he's saying is there's a contrarian way of, of viewing the world. 
um, that asks you to say like, why is everybody doing this? Right? Why? Why is everybody uh, moving in a certain direction? And is there an opportunity to go? in the other direction to consider and to question uh, their wisdom, which will, you know, this will show back up on my list later. But um, I, I think, it, I think it kind of ties into what you're saying. Like the, the, the wisdom that we're given by the herds uh, is foolishness. Mm-hmm. I hate to say it, but it is. I mean, it is. even if you agree with the positions, a lot of times the ways that they reach the conclusions um, the data, you know, uh, set that they use to arrive at the conclusions, even if I agree with the opinions, um, those things are skewed in ways, um, rhetorically these days to move you to a certain place. And, and I just think it's so important to say, okay, does their argument, uh, is their argument good? Is it true? Is it beautiful? Is it wise? Um, (laughs) where does it come from? Uh, does it come from a dark place of power, of wanting power or of wanting uh, money or of wanting, you know, anything, or does it come from a place of genuine care and goodness and truth and beauty? And I think that's uh, a big question that I find myself Mm -hmm. uh, asking, especially when, you know, I feel caught between these two antagonistic forces. Yeah. And even consider the smaller things regarding that as well, you know, uh, When you're a young parent, you think you will know how you want to raise your teen, but it's considerably different to hear wisdom from someone who's been there and it's an empty nester. You know, I've literally, the reason that's an example is because this is what's been on my mind lately. Um, And I think of a certain YouTuber who just has this idea of this is what it looks like to raise a teen. And he literally doesn't have teens. He has young kids. Um, So I'm going to not really weigh his opinions that heavily compared to say Sally Clarkson, who has raised four amazing young adults who, you know, who will be the first to tell you it's hard. And I don't really know. There's not one right answer, but here's how to make it beautiful along the way. And she did the work. And so, you know what I mean? Like consider when it comes to even just the practical parts of life. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. All right. So what else do you have? My next one, um, it's life is too short, not to art. Ooh, that's good. Too short. Mm -hmm. I, I, um, I'll, I'll try to like be vague about this story because I need to be vague about it, but I was in a context in which uh, some colleagues were amazing artists, amazing artists. One was an amazing painter. Uh, one was an amazing guitar maker. I mean, like guitar maker, but uh, but just in very you know high level positions. And both of them, on separate occasions, uh, told me that either they were hiding their art because they didn't want people to know that they weren't always spending time on productive, quote unquote, productive things, right? Mm. Uh, Like I can't let the people around me know that sometimes I go do this other thing that's good and beautiful and artistic. Um, Or or they would say, I wish I had more time to pursue this, but I'm so busy being productive, which means making money, right? Right. Uh, That I, I, I don't have the time that I used to have in my 20s to do the art. One of those um, has just recently picked back the 
picked up the paintbrush again um, after a significant hiatus. I mean, significant, significant hiatus. He, he, uh, he was married, got married. He's older than I am. And about six months ago, eight months ago, he posted a photo of what I thought was a photo of his wife. Um, it was a beautiful photo. And it turns out it was a painting. <laughs> it was oh. amazing. And I'm talking like gallery quality. And, mm. um, and so here he is in his 50s, you know, having given up 20 years to career and finally coming back to his art. Um, and I couldn't be happier for him. But how many paintings did he give up for 20 years? Right. Like how many paintings did he miss? Mm. Uh, how many moments did he miss? How many opportunities did he miss? Uh, and so if I could, if there's one thing I could actually go back and tell myself, it's like, man, keep writing the songs, keep writing the poetry, keep writing the short stories. Like if no one ever sees them, it's fine. Like life is too short. Um, and I, and I, I gave up about a decade, um, of art and I really regret that now. So life is too short, uh, not to art. And so make time to create. That's really good. And the first thing that came to mind was this Onion article I read a few years ago. It was an obituary. And it was, I don't remember the name, but it was like, so-and-so dies age 87, never knowing that she was a concert violinist. And, oh, wow. <laughs> and the whole obituary was talking about how she never knew that she was like an amazing, award-winning, professional musician. And... Yeah. um and instead, you know, whatever, lived a different life. And the humor of that is is obvious, but to me, there's a little bit of truth to that. Obviously, it's not about like, what life should I be living instead of the one I have? Because we live, you know, one of my favorite quotes from Wendell Berry is, we live the given life, not the planned. So mm-hmm. we live the life we're given. But what is it that's inside you that maybe scares you a little and mm. um, wants to come out and play? And yeah, I like the idea of um, even if nobody sees it, at least making it so. I mean, this is me talking to myself, giving me the the pep talk of I need to write this story that's in my brain and needs to get out. Um, Mm. So that's a good one. Yeah. I like it. All right. Well, my next bit is this idea of, I mean, really the easy way to say it is do stuff. Don't just think about stuff. Mm. So I mean that both really practically, but I also mean that um, when it comes to your faith, you know, so to talk about that side first, um, do the work of your faith through your actions and don't just sit there and contemplate truth. Um, You know, go do the serving soup at the the homeless shelter. Go um, talk to people that aren't like you. Go do the work of it. you know, I'm so grateful for how I spent my early 20s in Kosovo. I'm not saying I was like the poster child of this at all, but I'm so grateful that I forced myself, you know, my my time post-college graduation to just doing this weird job of teaching English to Albanian high school students following the war um, in Kosovo. And it's it was crazy and I wasn't very good at it and I made mistakes, but that's okay. Mm. I'm so grateful. I just did that thing and didn't just, I don't know, read my Bible more. Um, And that's not a bad thing. Hear me out. But you know what I mean? Um, And then I would say that just along with the ideas you have. Um, If you've ever read the short story, Walter Mitty, 
And then oh, yes. the movie that I think is, um, I, it's, it's such a hidden gem. I love the movie with Ben Stiller, um, mm-hmm. where he sits there and imagines himself to be this person that he just turns out is not. He's a pencil pusher um, at Life magazine and just too scared to go do the thing until one day he finally does just like before he can stop himself, run out, runs out and hops on a plane to Iceland. Um, so do, you know, go travel, go I don't know, do that crazy idea you have, um, do lots of stuff. I mean, in a no pressure, financially responsible kind of way, <laughs> don't, don't make this your identity. Like how many cool things can you Instagram? Um, but I don't know, take advantage of this time you have perhaps, you know, and you have a lot of, especially if you're single, you have a lot of freedom right now um, to just, I don't know, do some things that sound really cool to you. I think that is a huge piece of wisdom and advice that I would give a 20 year old. You know, I, uh, when I was in my, it was my thirties, I think I was 38 or 39. I quit my job. Mm -hmm. I was father of four kids married and I quit my job as an attorney to write. Um, and it wasn't to write for myself. It was because I wanted to explore what could it look like to create, um, a life of writing for other people, like helping other people bring books to life. And I it's still a major part of my, my day-to-day life. I did it for five years, full-time, four or five years, full-time. Um, and, and now st- still do it a lot. Um, it was a huge risk. Hmm. Uh, I'd never really done anything risky like that. Um, I had a lot of fun. I've met so many amazing people, uh, I've, I've gotten to touch a lot of really interesting projects and, and brainstorm a lot of interesting projects. I've met a lot of people that I vehemently disagree with that I've mm-hmm. sat across the table and thought, I agree with nothing that you say. And right. yet like you're an amazing human right. who's doing amazing things for other people. Um, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, there's a part of, of, of what you're saying, particularly with travel, uh, you know, take the crazy trip, do the crazy thing. That, that it's really similar. Like when we risk, we find, I think typically when we risk in human life, it means we're putting ourselves in the way of two things. One, God's grace. And number two, the graces of others. Mm-hmm. And when we put ourselves in the way of the graces of others, we, we begin to learn and to find out that people that we could not be more different from are actually not that much different. That's you good. Yeah. And so I think what you're saying is huge. Like, mm-hmm go to the other country, yeah. uh, quit your job and go to the other job or stay at the same job. Who cares? But go, go to the, you know, go to the temple one weekend, mm-hmm. go where, wherever, like do something risky, something different, something um, mm-hmm. that feels out of the ordinary because really, man, life is super, super short. Yeah. Gosh, isn't it? <laughs> we just don't have much of it. No, I know. No, it's really good. It's really good. Yeah. Okay. What else you got? So life is short. And that leads me to this last one, which okay. is don't drink the whiskey. <laughs> I figured you or might do. bring this up. <laughs> or do. I mean, drink the whiskey if you want to drink the whiskey. But um, just, you know, moderation is our friend. Oscar Wilde mm. says, in all things moderation, except for moderation, mm. don't take the Oscar Wilde approach. <laughs> Don't yeah, his use, life didn't end super well. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Don't use moderation and moderation. Like actually use moderation. Um, and and I think that the, the one of the things that I you know we we talk about 
you know, the years that I went through drinking, I'm not opposed to uh, people having a drink. Um, And one day we could get into a whole conversation. You and I could get into a whole conversation about moderation therapy and what does that look like? And is AA the right path or is this different path? And, you know, that's not for today's episode. But what I will say is when you begin to drink the whiskey, and I mean, like, actually get after it, um, even if it's not a real drinking problem, it can become a what I call a staged drinking problem. In other mm. words, you know, it, it you're not necessarily tying one on every day, but you're getting to the point where, like, if some trauma hits, um, you've set up the drinking problem. That's what happened to me. So, I loved whiskey. I loved gin, gin in the summer, whiskey in the winter. Um, and when the trauma hit, I had developed the muscle of anytime something stressful, you know, had a bad day at work, I'm going to knock it down with a couple whiskeys. Uh, or, you know, I got to go travel to see my in-laws. I'm going to, you know, have a couple gins the night before or whatever. Um, anytime I, I kind of did that, I developed the muscle memory of when things hurt, drinking helps. So that when a major trauma came into my life, like how did I deal with it? I drank and I drank and I drank and I drank. Um, and so if I could go back and tell my 20 something, 20 something self, anything, it would be, I'm not telling you to put down the scotch or to put down the whiskey, but what I am telling you to do is don't drink whenever you have a pain point. Don't Mm. drink because of stress. Don't drink because of anxiety. Whenever you feel those things, instead put the whiskey down and turn to, um, you know, what Ignatius would call better attachments. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, that's, you know, the attachment to Christ and the church. And so, uh, I wish I would have known that. I didn't know that. Didn't know how to employ that. So when I say don't drink the whiskey, I don't mean it's bad to have a drink. I mean, sometimes you you bring a drink onto the show. I love that. Um, it's don't use it whenever, you know, you're in stress, anxiety, or pain. Mm, it's good. That's, yeah. Amen. Um Perhaps that's a great segue to um, my last one, which I think can be best summarized in love people, use things. Um, I don't remember where I heard that pithy Instagrammable quote. It probably was Instagram. Who knows? Um, But I really like it. Just love people, use things. And I think that's getting at what the heart you're talking about, because correct me if I'm wrong. We've talked about this before, but they've said like the antidote to addiction is is it community or is it like there's something that's surprising? I can't remember. Yeah, Johan Hari. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so to me, that's sort of what that looks like being in community. I mean, my kids would roll their eyes at this, but put down the friggin' phone. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, prioritize local people. You know, local community over some sort of ephemeral influence that can't be quantified anyway and is never satisfying. Um, and yeah, and use things, but use them in their rightly ordered way. Yeah. Um, so whether that's alcohol or whether that's social media or, um, you know, but don't make it be people don't use people don't seek out people to find your, um, meaning to find your, you know, satisfaction in life. I mean, St. Augustine talks about this ad nauseum, but, 
um, you know, we've got this God-shaped vacuum in our souls and we are never going to be at rest until we rest in God. I know that's that's easy to say, hard to implement, but that to me is the way to implement that is a little bit in that phrase, love people, use things. So yeah. that's my maternal wisdom. I love it. I love it. And you know, it strikes me that we're, uh, you know, still learning. We're all still learning. Um, And so there may be listeners who would say, hey, I actually have some pieces of wisdom that I'd want to share. And we want to encourage that. Yeah. So Tish, how can they share wisdom with us and with our 20-something year olds? That's good. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a great, brilliant idea. Um, On my former show... I had a phone number where people could call in and tell us something that was good in their life. And I think we need to dust off this phone number and invite people to call in and um, share your wisdom because we want to hear it. You are welcome around this bar table as well. So um, call us 401-684-GOOD. Leave us a little message and just tell us what's something good that you have learned. What's a tiny bit of wisdom? Um I don't know, we might feature you here. We might just selfishly take it in our pocket and learn from it or whatever. I don't know. Um, What does that sound like to you, Seth? It sounds great to me. I think people should call, leave your Mm -hmm. words of wisdom, and we'll share some of them, maybe on the next episode. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So with that in mind, Seth, what is something that is adding more beauty to your life right now? Reading, writing, watching, listening to, whatever well, I had a listener reach out to me um, regarding um, our Italy trip, which if you don't know about our trip to Italy, then you just need to like uh, just go back and listen to the old episodes because we're going and it's going to be a blast in 2022, mm-hmm. provided that COVID doesn't mutate into some Ebola strain that makes us bleed out of our eyes. That's super <laughs> dark. Did I just do that? <laughs> just did that. That's hilarious. Uh, anyway. Um, so anyway, we had this listener reach out, uh, ask a couple questions. And then I started doing what one does, uh, which is perusing her mm. Instagram account. And dadgum, do you mm. know MEO artwork? No. MEO no. artwork. No. So um, yeah, MEO artwork is her handle, handle E-M-Y-O-A-R-T-W-O-R-K. Okay. And um, I guess I would describe this as sort of like modern Impressionism. (laughs) Uh, The colors that she paints with are so just bright and there's a lot of white. uh, And I I don't know. There's just something that's really clean about it. Um, And boy, it's I mean, it's not even like my kind of art. You know, I'm kind of like tend to be. Yeah, darker in my taste, but like I, I spent a really long time just like scrolling back and thinking like this is really, really interesting stuff and very good. And so mm-hmm. I, I you know spent probably I don't know I'm embarrassed to say how much time I just like looked at these uh, paintings. And so I would tell everybody if you want a little bit of beauty, truth, and goodness in your life, just spend five or ten minutes going back through Meo Artworks uh, Instagram uh, page, and I think you'll be you'll be glad. You'll at least be more lighthearted. And that's a huge thing in this day and age. It is. So I just followed as we were talking 
And the fact that she was asking, does that mean she might come to Italy? Because if so, we should totally peer pressure her into going publicly here. Well, I mean, I feel like it's it's borderline shaming at this point. Mm -hmm. Like if she doesn't go, shouldn't she feel ashamed a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. She's now required to go. Yep. That's right. Okay. I like it. (laughs) All right. I did it. All right. All right. So Tish, what's one thing that's bringing a little bit of truth, beauty, or goodness to your life? This is a very basic answer, but I don't care. I'm embracing it. Um, The new season of The Great British Bake Off is on, (laughs) and I cannot help myself. I love that show. Uh, Oh, gosh. I know. I know. But here's the thing. It's one of the few shows that my whole family will watch together. Yep. I I call that a win. Um, Reed, it's not his favorite, but he'll endure it. Um. I love it feels like a palate cleanser to some of the other stuff out there. Like it's very mm. calming. Like I it's the only reality show I've ever watched where I feel less stressed after watching it, not more stressed. Oh, okay. And this particular season has some delightful human beings on it. I mean, they always do, but this one in particular does. There's two gentlemen that like by the first episode, I wanted them to somehow tie and both be winners. And uh, that's uh, Jürgen, who is German, and Giuseppe, who is Italian. They both live in England, but um, their native homelands are German and Italian. And they are knocking it out of the park every single week. Their food is a sight to behold. To me, this show is just the embodiment of just simple beauty, simple delight, simple pleasures, the innocence of just making good food um, the purity of it, maybe I should say, and what it might look like to truly collaborate and support each other. Like I have never before the show seen a dumb TV reality competition where the contestants are actually helping each other finish their work, um, where they cry and hug and love each other by the first episode. And so to me, it's just so heartwarming. And I am team your seppo. I don't know. Jürgen something both of them they're delightful humans so the new season of great british bake-off that's what's making me happy right now what the truth is is that you're team english i know i know (laughs) anglophile as you are i feel like they do everything better so that makes me guilty as charged yeah i don't know if that's true but they do do tea better that's true they don't do everything better they do um mexican food horribly they don't know what they're doing (laughs) Um, <laughs> you just I everything mean, else better. do Americans mm-hmm. know what we're doing when it comes to Mexican yeah. food though, either? I mean, my dad used to jokingly say that there's no good Mexican food North of Dallas. So I might okay. be prone to agree. Okay. okay. Anyway. All right. Um, it is time to wrap this up. You can find this episode as well as all episodes at a drink with As always, if you like the show and what we're doing here, please help keep it going by picking up the next round of drinks, drinks, we are always grateful for that because the show is free for you to listen to, but it's not free for us to make. So at the cost of a few cups of coffee or a pint, you can play a big part. Find the link to do that in the show notes of this episode or at a drinkwithafriend.com. And thank you so much in advance as always. You can find me and how to connect with me, especially via my newsletter at tishoxenwriter.com. Seth, where can people find you? SethHaines.com. Pretty simple. Okay. All right. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. Editing is by Kyle Oxenreiter. I'm Tish Oxenreiter with Seth Haynes, and we'll be back here with you soon. Thanks for listening.